Mr. Mutani said he knew someone who was a friend of his. On November 6, 1999, after picking me up at the hotel in Gurney, and this is significant, Mr. Mutani used his cell phone to make a call. That call was made to then Illinois State Senator Barack Obama to set up an introduction between myself and Senator Obama. Upon arriving at the bar and exiting the limo, Senator Obama was standing next to Mr. Mutani, and I was introduced to Senator Obama by name. Later that evening in a bar, which I believe was called Alibis, and I state believe because I have failed so far to get Citigroup to provide the credit card receipts that has the actual name. <clears throat> I mentioned I could use a line or two to wake up. Senator Obama asked me if I was referring to Coke, and I stated I was. After stating I was, Obama stated he could purchase cocaine for me and then made a telephone call. This too is significant from a cell phone to a presently unknown individual during which Senator Obama arranged the cocaine purchase. Senator Obama and I then departed the bar in my limousine and proceeded to an unknown location where Senator Obama exited the limousine with $250 which was provided to him by me. Returned a short while later with an eight ball of cocaine which he gave to me. I did ingest a couple of lines of cocaine and shortly thereafter Senator Obama produced a glass cylinder pipe and packet of crack cocaine from his pocket. Obama then smoked the crack cocaine. I performed fellatio on Senator Obama in the limousine during the time Senator Obama was smoking crack cocaine. After which I had the driver take me to my hotel, the Comfort Suites, Gurney, Illinois. The following day, November 7, 1999, Senator Obama appeared at my hotel room unannounced, uninvited, where we again ingested cocaine and I again performed fellatio on Senator Obama. Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Collarbach. That was Larry Sinclair back in 2007, 2008. As soon as Barack Obama became president, um, he held a press conference to say, um, you know, he rented a room, he got a podium, he got up there and he said, I suck this guy. So God bless uh, Larry Sinclair's bravery. Um, everything is a lie. Everything is bullshit. Um, that's why I uh, do comedy because the idle rich are so lazy and stupid and selfish. And if us peasants want a chance to win, we have to fucking say truth to power. We have to take from the idle rich to survive or they're going to run us over. I want to talk about Jay Leno real quick. Now, I've had uh, a friend of mine, Tadpole, used to work for uh, Jay Leno. He said the show was great. He was nice. He was this. He was that. All this stuff. I think Jay Leno recently, um, I think he's a hoarder and a ingenuous, uh, an ingenuous douchebag hoarder. Yuppie cunt. And let me tell you why. Maybe not cunt, just a, a selfish hoarder. Um, he has a car collection, all of his cars, you know, he probably has 50 cars worth over a million dollars each. Cars, motorcycles, he's obsessed with them because he doesn't really like giving to charity or like taking care of up and coming comics. Like he doesn't like make a dorm room in New York City free, free food, everything for comics to put good comedy out there like he doesn't so he used to live in Dangerfield's comedy club in New York City he lived in the back while he was getting his start 
He slept in the back. I've been to danger fields before. I think I know the corridor where he had a cot on the ground where he used to sleep and shower in the sink when he was doing like Tonight Show uh, appearances and doing little, you know, getting his start as a, as a comedian. Uh, during the pandemic, Dangerfields, the place where Jay Leno lived in the back went bankrupt and it died, okay? Jay Leno could have very easily bought the building, put dorms above it, free for comedians to have the best comics possible. No, no, no. He pulls the ladder up and he goes in his little fucking mansion behind his gate. And now he's hoarded himself with all of his cars and they're injuring him. So he was mixing fuel uh, two months ago, mixing fuel for one of his, you know, little yuppie fucking mobiles that cost millions of dollars, whatever, up in the castle. And he set himself on fire. Okay. So as he got third degree burns, boo hoo hoo, very sad. Very recently, he took out his motorcycle last week, one of his little yup machine motorcycles, because he doesn't build a dorm for comics, because he doesn't care really about comics, um, struggling like he did, living in Dangerfields, which went bankrupt, and he just let it fold, because he's in his mansion, injuring himself with his toys. He fell off his motorcycle, he broke his ribs. This is the idle rich. This is the problem. Like, you learn when you're a kid with blocks right? Let's say you have Lincoln logs, right? That's my block. That's my block. That's my block. Share your blocks. Share your blocks. This is as simple as that. He just won't. That's mine. I have a 1971 BMW douchebag. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Lights himself on fire. I'm still virile. Crashes a motorcycle. This is the problem with the idle rich. They're greedy, Psychopaths. Okay. Um, there's a lot of delusion out there. There's a lot. People are very delusional. I met, I learned a lot about women one night, Uber driving late night during Mardi Gras when I was at the University of New Orleans getting my MFA in screenwriting. I learned a lot about ladies. First of all, I had to take out extra insurance during Mardi Gras because. You know, when I was driving around, I would get distracted by boobies and butts, and I uh, ended up in meetings a few times from booty gazing. But there was one lady who got in my car one time, like, you know, and my car was like, right? She was a big, big broad, older, I would say 55, 62 in this area, maybe 48, but looked rough, right? Smoke, had the, uh, a voice like this. And she said the most delusional thing I've ever heard in my life. She said, my friends and I, we were so scantily clad. So we had to hire security because we were so scantily clad. Okay. So to pretend that she was a hot piece out there. She hired a security guard for security theater to follow her around and pretend to get guys off of her. Because as she was showcasing her boundless femininity, um, you know, to ward off the potential suitors, 
She hired security. That security guard could have stayed home and he could have said, Has, have you been raped yet? No, send a check in the mail, stupid, click. And she would have been just as safe as the security theater. But she has to pretend, I learned a lot about love that day. I learned a lot. Let me tell you the other side of the coin. Wall Street people. I've never told this story on my podcast, but my dad, you know, he used to work on Wall Street. He was working at a company called WorldCo during 9-11 and 9-11 almost killed him. WorldCo was 110 Wall Street, you know, seven floors up or whatever. Um, so during 9-11, he was right there. But before, just before, just after, around this time frame, I think just before, probably in the summer of 2001, like August or July of 2001, WorldCo chartered buses and we took the stock traders up to upstate New York, somewhere uh, south of the Catskills, and there was a paintball facility. And so, you know, to spread a little good cheer around to the traders, the wall, you know, the stock traders, um, we took them out paintballing. I accompanied this and I brought my friend, either Ryan Malofchak or Jeffrey, someone like that came with us to paintball. And it was actually really, really fun. And, uh, you know, we had referees, we had two referees, like one, just so you know, the way paintball works is if you get shot in the foot, in the arm, anything, you're dead. And a referee has to spot you and throw you out. Or, you know, you get shot, oh, I'm shot. You voluntarily walk into the dead zone where you're dead and you put your butt in, you put a plug in your rifle and you hold your hands up. I'm dead, I surrender, you know, type of thing. So we're playing ping ball and I realized that I'm shooting them. And if the referee doesn't directly spot them, so some of the guys, like about 30% of the guys were playing fair, maybe 50. Some of them, you'd shoot them. Like I got confirmed kills. I shot, saw my shot explode on the guy. They would run around the corner, wipe the paint off them with a little towel and then get back in the game. So the game wasn't, the game wasn't if you get shot, you're dead. The game was if you get shot and they spot you, you're dead. If the ref throws you out directly, then you're dead. He says, you got shot, go in the thing. So not to mention, a lot of these guys were doing cocaine. I didn't really see it at, up front. But at lunch, we got sandwiches, and then some of the guys went off, and I was like, what's going on there? And I saw them, like, shovel, and I didn't, uh, by the end of the day, I, some of them were a little geeked up, a little excited, and I figured out, but I didn't say anything at the time. Okay, so their stock traders geeked up in July 2001, south of the Catskills, in a paintball facility, cheating. So I told this to my dad, like on the bus ride home, I, they were cheating. And he's like, yeah, they, they steal money with these stock trading AI robots. There was early software to automatically stock trade for them. And he goes, do you think they give a fuck about cheating in a paintball game? They're just harvesting money off, off these stock trading robots. The referees at the paintball thing, it's like, they're like the SEC, the, the Security Exchange Commission has to catch them cheating. Look, they're free to run around and do whatever they want. They're free to steal. 
but if they're caught cheating, then they go to jail. If they're caught with hit by hit by paint, then they go to the dead zone. You see what I'm saying? It's not good to prop up the psychopath class. Let me say something else about cocaine. Because I had my ex-roommate got me locked up, uh, CJ Kelly, because I got between him and meth. And I started to vision his brain as stress, anxiety, hardship, insecurity. Boom, there's a solve for that cocaine. Like there was a, a trench in his brain, cocaine, crack, heroin, whatever, uh, from anxiety to pleasure, right? Um, I, can now, I have this skill now where when I talk to somebody and they sound really stupid and slow, there's something called adrenal fatigue. When you snort coke, it, it flushes your body with adrenaline, okay? So let's say uh, you're walking in the woods, nature hiking, and a bear comes out. Humans have this thing where they can run really fast in short bursts. Or let's say, you know, there's always stories where a car runs over someone's kid and the mom just lifts the car from like adrenaline dump. Like they, you get super strength in scary, acute moments where a mom will lift a car, the baby will get out, whatever. You know, this is natural adrenaline. I can sense in people's voices, uh, the, just the way they talk Dom, oh, I was hungry, so I needed food, so I went out to get food. It's like simple dum-dums. I go, I can just feel in my body, oh, you have adrenal fatigue because you're a cokehead. Because you can't, you're not stimulated by life. You have an artificial thing. So like I stay in wonderment of the world. I just got back from the boxing gym. Nobody saw me do nothing. I just went in. I cleaned the whole boxing gym with a vacuum. I come out. Nobody even saw me. I, I, you know, I know I'm saying it on the podcast now, but, you know, I love Richard Lord's boxing gym. And me and him have such a good relationship because I've never cheated the boxing gym. Um, and they could just tell that I'm like, I'm still in wonder of how I, much I love this sport. I have such a passion for the sport. I don't want to put anything in my body that's going to destroy my life. I saw it destroy my roommate's life. I have appreciation that I get to work there. I have appreciation. I, I hang out with it. All the, all my friend group is from Richard Lord's boxing gym. So like I have this wonderment of the world naturally. I'm not uh, cocaine. You know, if people that are coming off it, it's so obvious to me, they sound so stupid. They sound so like depleted of that life force, but the connection between their head and their heart is severed by, by garbage powder. The same thing happens when people do testosterone or steroids. What happens is um, your testicles will read just like a, a thermometer, the, the amount of testosterone you have in your body. And when your testes read that there's all this testosterone in your body, it'll say, okay, well, we don't need to produce any. We don't need to produce any testosterone. There's plenty in the um, bloodstream already. So um, they will shut off. 
So if you are always on testosterone replacement therapy, steroids, any sort of external testosterone, your testes will not produce it anymore and they'll shrivel to little raisins. Your adrenal gland will shrivel to a little raisin if it always has cocaine in it. Your balls will shrivel down. Physically, if there's always uh, testosterone in your system, this is the problem of hormone replacement therapy. This gets me to, I re-listened to this podcast I did with Ariel Isaac Norman last night where she interviewed somebody probably on replacement hormone replacement therapy who identified themselves as a, a trans pedo, okay? They're messing with their nature. And when you, who knows the long-term consequences of going into your hormones and changing your testosterone estrogen levels or putting in extra estrogen or putting in extra testosterone or putting, whatever happened to love yourself, whatever happened to God created you, your parents created you, love what you have. There are all these natural processes going on in your body. And if you are on anything, um, you're gonna whack your fucking levels out. There's always side effects to every drug out there. I'll be honest, I take fucking fish oil every day and a multivitamin every day. Uh, you know, there's like, I take zinc, magnesium, little things like that. Uh, that's it, vitamins, minerals, that's all I do. So I just wanna say like, don't do drugs. It'll make you retarded. It'll shrink your pineal gland. It'll shrink your adrenals. It'll shrink your testicles. God knows what, um, you know, the, the ripple effects of doing, doing drugs are. They make you a creepy weirdo. Um, what else do I want to say? Uh, okay, so let's talk about art. Um, so because people are just ingenerous, Jay Leno is injuring himself with his hoarded yuppie toys. He did not save Dangerfield's comedy club, which he lived in. He doesn't care about things the way I care about things. I know this. He, he put himself in his castle. He shut the door and he just lives in a garage filled with luxury. And they're destroying him because he won't donate them. He won't give them to his friends because he's a douche. Fuck this guy. Um, you know who else is a terrible person is Jackson Pollock. And let's just talk about art real quick because I could take a shit on a canvas tomorrow. I can get a bunch of paints and I can throw them with my shirt off. I can get completely naked. I can rub my body in paints and rub my body on canvases, right? If I go to an art gallery with this, it's gonna be worth $0, okay? Jackson Pollock, um, his wife was his manager. And she somehow conned the galleries that he's a genius. He's such a misunderstood genius, you know? So every dollar Jackson Pollock has ever gotten in his life came from his wife being his manager. Then he gets the money and he starts to think, oh, I'm the genius, it's all me. My crappy art, that's garbage art, is worth something because it says Jackson Pollock in the corner. Again, if Eric Collarbach goes out, buys the canvases, the same paints, everything, it's going to be worth nothing. 
it's going to be like worth less than if it was a blank canvas that you could sell to somebody who another art hopeful. Okay. So let's start like this also works in jokes, right? So whoever is the best joke writer, it's really the manager agents selling their bullshit or their wares who you know, it's I don't want to be blackpilled on art. But what I will say is, let's look at Jackson Pollock. What did he do? He was cheating on his wife who made him every dime he's ever had with two floozies in a Corvette. And he was drunk on his little yuppie mobile and he flipped it and killed everybody cheating on his wife because he thought he's the artist. I'm a genius. He got high in his own supply of throwing paints on a wall, that fucking asshole. So I don't know how much clear I could talk right now. Um, Barack Obama, uh, did drugs and gay shit with Larry Sinclair, who held a press conference. The president, yeah, he's a handsome man. Wool over everyone's eyes. My, uh, everything sucks. Uh, this has been Highway Diary episode 370 or something like that, 371, I'm not sure. Um, we have a new sponsor for the show, Robin Hood. Don't, don't, you don't need some fucking cokehead cheating at paintball to buy and sell stocks for you. You can do it yourself with Robinhood. Um, so if you sign up with my little code, go on Robinhood, which is a stock trading app, you start out with a free, get some free stock. They'll just give you like a couple shares of Ford. Boom, free. So it's nothing to you. Uh, you sign up, you get some free stock and it supports the show. Also, uh, ACBD Remedy, go to acbdremedy.com, use promo code ERIC for 20% off your order. I love you all very much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.